here we go as we continue our study in the letter of Philippians. And we are in Philippians chapter 1. And as we move on, it goes from Paul's greetings to the church and his encouragement for the church to advance in their Christianity and their maturity, which we talked about last week. But now it moves towards Paul giving them a bit of an update. And so what's interesting is that at this point, we're going to be looking not so much at the conditions in Philippi, but the conditions in Rome where Paul is likely imprisoned. So a lot of the subject matter here has to actually do more with another church rather than the church there in Philippi. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, begin with that. And, and here we go in verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has happened, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has been clear, become clear throughout the whole palace guard. The, the word behind that is praetorium. And that would have been the elite bodyguard of Caesar himself. Initially, there were about 9,000 troops assigned to this elite bodyguard. It ultimately ended up increasing to 12,000 troops. But these were no ordinary troops. These troops, being the elite guard that they were, would end their service with full citizenship in the Roman Empire, as well as a rather significant pension at the end of that time. But, but it's also important to note that over time, this elite core of the Roman army not only served Caesar, but eventually they actually established who would be the next Caesar in many cases. As a matter of fact, once Caligula went off the reservation, they are actually the ones who assassinated him and were able to then install the next emperor. So these are, these are not of a small significance, the people that are guarding Paul here. And so what has now become clear throughout these kingmakers and to everyone else, that I am in chains for Christ. And everyone else may actually include, as Paul gives greetings at the end, he says, God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So through Paul's persecution, the gospel has now made inroads into some of the most rarefied air of the entire Roman Empire. Pretty astounding. Now, Paul is giving this bit of information on himself, I believe, just in case he gets killed. So that the Philippians wouldn't take discouragement, but understand with perspective that what, again, we looked at last week, what the world considers pitiable, Jesus prizes. And Paul is prizing even this opportunity to suffer, to be in chains for the sake of the gospel. And so he goes on. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, that's a scripture worth memorizing. And by the way, I don't know how you're doing with your memorization of sections or even the entire book of Philippians. I know, just FYI, my, my wife has already kind of knocked off chapter 1 and 4. I'm not sure of that methodology, but... <laughs> Remember, at the end of this, we, we're, we're going to have a chance for, for various uh, members here 
to stand up and we'll just go through the book of Philippians from memory. So that's going to be exciting. But please join in. And, and I would encourage you as much as you can, memorize as much as this book as possible. I love this book. And as I've already stated, I find it to be one of the most applicable books, applicable letters to our church because of the massive similarities of the situation that they were facing there in Philippi and, and likewise the, the place where we are in our walk in Christ here in Hampton Roads. And so because of my chains, I'll say it again, the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. He's talking about those that have now gone out to preach the gospel. The latter do so out of love. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Uh, that, that word kind of even means the idea of being a mercenary. That you just do stuff for the sake of the money that might come with it or the personal advancement, whether that be pecuniary or even just esteem. That that is why that they were actually going after this. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is, what an attitude here, huh? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Now you think Paul would be concerned, but apparently they were preaching the right message and the right method. Now, their motives may have been skewed, but as long as Paul realized that the message and the method was right and it was reaching people with right doctrine and right purposefulness about it, he's actually okay with this. This is an astounding look at Paul as he's kind of giving the update from his corner of the world. He goes, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers... And now he asks them to be kind of involved with what's going on in his imprisonment. That through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. That word courage there, parasia is this idea of unbridled, raw excitement to be frank about the truth of Jesus Christ. No holds, no restraints, no spinning the message, just bringing it. And that's what he has as his hope, not, I mean, his hope as in terms of, I mean, rock solid anticipation, that's hope for a, for a first century standpoint. Not our hedging bets hope, but, but a rock-solid anticipation that I will have parousia. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then the famous phrase of this letter, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet... What shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart, be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Amen. And so this is the section that we will consider today. The title of the sermon today is Off the Chain. Again, while Paul affirms again and again throughout this passage, he actually uses the word for chains uh, three times. The word that he uses for chains, by the way, is a a very short length of chain uh, that would be very indicative of typical Roman imprisonment, where he would be chained to a Roman soldier. Likely, this Roman soldier, perhaps by, by the way that Paul has been talking about the Praetorium, would have been in this elite class of the honor guard, the the kingmakers, of the emperor makers that would have been established by by the Caesars for their special purposes. There would have been a a rotation of guards, uh, and and throughout the the years of his imprisonment, there would have been many, many guards that would have come through to be with Paul. And you can imagine that as the new guard comes in and links up with Paul, maybe I'm, I'm speculating a bit too much, but all of a sudden, you've, you've got your, your, your friend, not your friend, but you've got this prisoner now that you're going to have to be you know, stuck with for, for a good bit of time. And I would imagine one of the questions that Paul was eager to have asked of him is, so what are you in for? <laughs> and that leads us to the first point. The gospel is off the chain. Now, these chains were Caesar's chains. There's no mistaking that. The palace guard, the praetorium, would see chains on a prisoner as evidence of Caesar's dominion and power and sovereignty. That Caesar truly was Lord. And here was evidence of that in prisoner after prisoner. But then they rotate over to the Apostle Paul. And while they expect that these chains have demonstrated that Caesar is Lord and that binding the prisoner for Caesar fulfills Caesar's wills, Caesar's will, the soldiers are also used to hearing the gospel. I mean, literally, the euangelion, the gospel of Caesar, the supposed good news that a new emperor has taken the throne. And this good news would be disseminated throughout the empire. And sometimes it was actually these praetorium guards that would be the initiators, not only of the new emperor, but of the good news itself. And to make sure that it was spread, because in many cases, it was their doing that brought this new emperor to bear. Uh, And so they were very evangelistic about the new Caesar, who is now Lord. But so they would spread the message that now peace And justice has come to the world through the new Caesar. But now, here's someone announcing that there is a different gospel. A different euangelion. A different good news. And this good news is that Jesus of Nazareth has taken the throne of the world. There is a new king in town. And his name is Jesus Christ. 
And he is summoning every man, woman, and child to bow the knee to him. Quite a conversation, I would imagine. (laughs) And having Paul in custody meant they couldn't ignore this new message. They were having their noses rubbed into it. N.T. Wright writes, And Paul can see that already other Christians throughout the empire, especially in Rome, are taking courage from his example. They can see the impact that he's having even on hardened soldiers. Why shouldn't they seize the moment and speak about King Jesus to their friends and neighbors as well? And Paul's bonds have actually removed all the barriers, interestingly, and given him inside man access to the very flower of the Roman army, the Praetorium. And his bonds, on top of that, have been the medicine of courage to the brothers around him and now to Philippi itself. And so... While a guard could could really think that, yes, we've confined and chained and subdued this man. Well, they don't recognize what drives this man. It is, whoops. It is this man who says to his protege, Timothy, remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David, This is my gospel. This is the good news for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. And then I love what he says here. But God's word is not chained. No matter what it is that all tried to do to Jesus, nothing could hinder, restrain, or chain him. And... Is that thing still, still filming? Okay. Uh, nothing could hinder Jesus. Even, even as they rejected Jesus, he was all the more honored and exalted. Right. And even bringing Jesus to the point of shameful flogging and disrobing, nonetheless, all during that, he bore not his own shame, but theirs for what they did. And then ultimately thinking... That this movement of this supposed Messiah could be crushed by killing him publicly with no mistake for all to see. It didn't stop what Jesus was proclaiming. It only ignited it and launched it to all corners of the empire with all the more vigor having been convinced that this Jesus really rose from the dead. There is a new king in town. That's the gospel message. And we're all going to be blessed by him. But of course, we we need to obviously recognize that we have good news in Jesus Christ. Now, are you convinced of that? This is a a, a quite important idea. Because when, when Paul says here, Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul was convinced of that. Deeply, sufficiently convinced. 
Now, it did require the scales to come from his eyes to be able to see that. And it does require us to be able to turn to the Lord so that the veil of unbelief can really be removed so that we can see the truth of the gospel message that there is a new king. And he is a good and gracious king who wants nothing more to embrace you and honor you and help you to have the standing before men and God that you are his son, his daughter, whom he loves, with whom God is well pleased. That is your standing here. If you've been able to have the scales fall from your eyes, to have the veil removed, to be able to see with clarity the loving arms of Christ and to be able to run into those and to no longer resist God's will for your life. When that finally happened to Paul, everything changed. Suddenly, all that he strained and strived to do for his own righteousness, all just simply peeled away. His heart was melted, finally knowing the righteousness that comes by faith. Finally knowing the joy and the peace and security and affirmation that really comes from the God whom we hope to always serve. Finally realizing counterintuitively that this was all going to come. Not through his own efforts, but finally to be able to recognize that this Jesus whom he persecuted is the very Jesus that is delivering him. And no matter what, there was nothing that was going to hold Paul back. As a matter of fact, my second point. That Paul is off the chain. I mean, look at what we just read about. Yes, he, he loved the gospel, protected the gospel, and he had great motives in his own ministry in preaching the gospel. But yet he didn't attack those others in Rome who were preaching the gospel. Right message, right method. But we're preaching the gospel with poor motives. Why? Because nothing was about him. Just as Jesus lived selflessly for every one of us. That so affected Paul. That as he in his imitation of Jesus. Recognized that even the gospel is paramount to, to himself. Better that the gospel is spread. Even with him being impugned. While he's in prison. Better that the gospel spreads. Than, than it for any way to be held back. And even if it does mean that my reputation gets tarnished. Fair enough. Just let the word keep getting out. To more and more along the way. But he chose to look on the bright side. Since the message and the method. Actually furthered the truth. He figured I guess God alone is going to be the one. Who's going to deal with the motives. At the end of the day. And. And perhaps there weren't the issues that were either in Corinth or Galatia. So, for, for example, um, the, the people that were preaching were perhaps not ones who subtracted from the gospel message, as some in Corinth did, because in Corinth they denied bodily resurrection from the dead. And so Paul, of course, could not in any way tolerate that, and he rails against it in his letter to Corinth. Or even in Galatia, where not that they didn't subtract from the message, but they piled on to the message. And they piled on to the message by their requirement of circumcision and other Jewish rituals. And again, Paul's not going to abide that. And he brings it, he brings it with force and vigor. It's amazing how strong he is and clear he is about the gospel message. But apparently, whatever was going on in Rome didn't add to or subtract from the gospel message. You know what it did do, though? 
It trashed him. But what he, fine, fine. If, that, if, if the gospel's still getting out, bring it on. I'll bear the trash because you know what? In Christ, nothing sticks to me. There is, I, I am blameless, as he says earlier in, in, in verse 10. There is no blame that clings to me, no shame that clings to me because I am in Christ even as I sit here in prison in chains. The very idea of a man being imprisoned and set for execution is the greatest shame in the Roman Empire. From the emperor's standpoint, from Caesar's standpoint, this is a bunch of shame that is all clinging to his resume. But Paul, none of that clings to him. He is Teflon as he's there in prison, recognizing that in Christ, I have all affirmed to me that all that really matters. And that even as, as these prisoners might look at him as who is this shameful prisoner that we have here, suddenly they see a man that walks with such confidence, a man that is affirming so clearly. Sorry, keep getting phone calls. Uh, a man that is affirming so clearly what it is that, that he has as he has standing and status and affirmation in Jesus. He is an honorable man, an honorable prisoner, a prisoner that transcends the chains and the praetorium and even the emperor himself because he honors the real king, the real king to whom every one of these guards will one day have to bow their knee. Paul is off the chain. You know, it's also interesting, as a, as a side note here, um, where he talks about that this will turn out for my deliverance. Uh, where, where he says that in, uh, in, in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage. It was interesting is that he's actually quoting Job at this point. And if you go back and you kind of study out Job 13, 15, and 16, uh, while, while he was suffering, Job asserted, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. And then Job expressed this hope in verse 16. This will turn out for my deliverance. And Paul is recalling a scriptural account of Job's suffering while he is in chains. And by appropriating to himself the story of Job for his own experience in suffering, he was able to echo the very hope of Job in God. And I know that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul is off the chain. Now, he's also off the chain because the one shame that he wants to make sure nowhere comes near to him. And the only possible shame that he could possibly experience, despite being in the most shameful circumstances from an outsider's perspective, he considers none of that shameful, but honorable, that he gets to live for Christ. But that the one shame is that perhaps he would not have sufficient paresia, sufficient courage to keep on making the good news about Jesus playing. That would be the most shameful thing that he could ever imagine in his life. I mean, think of it. With all the stuff that's going on, imprisonment and destitute and all that is going on there, having to rely even on the kindness of strangers, even for his next meal, the whole time that he's in prison. The one thing 
The one thing that he wants to make sure that he never gives into, despite everything crushing in on him to do so. Everything trying to get him to recant. The very reason that he is in prison. Jesus is Lord. That is the very directive that guides his whole life. Not Caesar, but Jesus. And the very shame is that if he in any way backed off a half inch from that message, because parasia is combined with the word all. All parasia. All, all confident uh, proclamation. All boldness and courage. That if we really get Christ, then we get why it is that Paul has this courage and why he has this boldness. But I, but I think it's a, an interesting one for us as well. Do we fear the shame of perhaps stepping back from the message of Christ? That's his only fear at this moment in time. But yet, because he's so confident of who he is in Christ, he still has absolute hope that that will in no way be his lot. That he'll never be with those cold and timid souls who never know what it is to dare greatly. Whoops. Uh, never know what it means to dare greatly. Never... Um, I'm going to come back out. Come back in. Come on, baby. Are we good? We are. Um, uh, but, but, but instead, he is a man who only, only wants to be a man that is unrestrained, uninhibited, and only ablaze with a heart and a love and a passion for the gospel of Jesus, for the Jesus who changed his life, and for those that he sees through eyes of love passionately that need to know this message. That's the Christ that has established this church in Philippi. That's the Christ who is so excited that their prayers are going to be the very thing that he needs more than anything else. But it also leads us then to the, the last of, of all of this. And I'm sorry, one, one more thing before I move on to the, the third point. Paul then says this magnificent statement. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that's off the chain. Because nobody thinks that way. You would normally think to live is gain. That's, that's the positive. And to die is Christ. To die is to suffer in the passion of the Christ. But he says, no, to live is Christ. To live is to endure. To live is to bear. But to die, well, that's gain. You want to kill me, Praetorium? Well, you're going to graduate me. You're going to let me enter into my rest. As soon as that happens, I'm doing a jig. I'm dancing and maybe even flying. Who knows? But he would then be in deep concert with the Lord. Yes, for him, to die is gain. To live is Christ. And that, that is the man who established this church. That is the man who was able to infuse this church with the same sensibilities that he has had as they view Jesus. And that brings us to the last point. That church is off the chain. And here's my hope. Is that as we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. 
Not only of the power of Christ, the power of the gospel, the power of Paul, but, but also the power that is in that church to realize that this is the church that is so like us. That this is the church that is such an exemplar. That the conditions of patriotism and, and, and peace and prosperity, not prosperity, but, but of, of, um, of real unity that is going on in that church are the same conditions that we face. And now Paul wants nothing less than, than even the unwelcome circumstance of his imprisonment to be all the more of a catalyst to just take that church and just launch it. Launch it to, to serve Jesus. Launch it to help all those that need to hear the word of God. That every single person in that church, as they encounter the people that are put in their lives, would have a daring and a confidence and a boldness to proclaim the gospel without fear. That as you would encounter someone and you see in them the same sickness leading to death that you yourself had, that you wouldn't just walk on by. But that you, with a heart full of compassion and faith, would know that there's no other choice. Just as there was none for Paul, even though the, the uh, consequences were dire. Look at where he is. That there's no other choice, but that I need to make this plain. Even with resistance, I need to persevere. There's no other plan from God. We're plan A, no plan B. And, and so, as, as he brings this to them, he helps them to realize that, my goodness, you, you Philippians, your prayers and the Spirit of Christ, your prayers are so dear to me. But here is why I'm so encouraged, is because what has happened to me not only advances the gospel, he uses an interesting word there, to, to advance his prokope, and later on, he says that I know that not only will the gospel be advanced, but that, that you and your, your advancement and joy in the faith will result as well. It's, it's, it's actually the bookends to this section. In verse 12, he says the prokope of the gospel. And in 25 and 26, he says the prokope of the church and your faith and your joy. But now here's what's interesting. Just if you want to get nerded out for just one moment here. Uh, is that prokope... Sounds almost like a word that he used just before he entered into this section, which was proskope. It's just one letter different, just that sigma in there, that S, proskope. But he says that blamelessness is, is this idea that you are not in any way bound to shame. There's no shame that is bound to you. So proskope is, is combined with a not. Not proskope, but prokope. Prokope. There's no shame that hinders you. You are born for, for speed. You are built for speed in Jesus Christ. You've got nothing that, that clings to you. Nothing that would slow you down. You come up to the line with Usain Bolt at the 100 yard dash. And you don't have a parachute tied to your back. A parachute of accusation. A, a parachute of, of lies propagated by Satan upon you. You don't. You don't have your shoelaces tied together. You don't have anything that is hindering you as you come to the line. And by the way, you also have within you the Spirit of Christ. You're going to be looking at Usain Bolt in the rear view mirror in this race for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so now because of even what Paul has done, 
He is kind of that extra fuel and that motivation that is that, that gun goes off. You're like, bam, you're going to hit the line and go for it for the sake of the gospel. And that's Paul's joy is not only is the gospel off the chain and frankly, not only is he off the chain, but you know what, church? You're off the chain. You were, you were unrestricted. You were uninhibited. You are nothing but paracia courageous to go for it for Christ. Tertullian in 197 AD wrote, The more you cut us down, the more we grow. The blood of the Christians is the seed of the church. What a, what a cool agricultural analogy there. You think you're pruning us? Well, we're going to grow. You think you're killing us? Well, all you're doing is spreading it out. And then he says later, The leg does not feel the chains. When the mind is in heaven. What a, what a clear indication of what Paul was experiencing. But then what spreads throughout the entire church. This is what, as the Roman Empire tried to crush and subdue Christianity. Just as with Jesus, thinking that in killing him, it ends everything. It only blows everything up in a beautiful fashion. And the same with the Christians, with those that have been so reborn in Christ. That this is the same conclusion for all of us. That what? Try to suppress. The very act of suppressing is only going to expand the knowledge and the work and the, and the message of Jesus Christ. Amen. Years later under persecution, Hugh Latimer and, um, and Ridley were being burned at the stake in Oxford, England. And as they were being burned, the flames were not very hot. And that's the worst thing, by the way, if you're going to be burned at the stake. And so if you find yourself, you know, preaching at, um, you know, let's say Salem High School, and the consequence is, and you're going to be burned at the stake. Well, make sure you, you ask that they really do kindle that fire very, very hot, because then when you're burned at the stake, it won't last as long, and, and really you'll be subdued a little bit more quickly. So, just a little hint there. You know, who knows what's going to happen as we continue in our walk in Christ. But, but at this time, they, they really didn't kind of get, get the flames going so well. Maybe because it like rains every other day in Oxford and they couldn't really get the, the flames going. But, uh, but, but as the flames were starting, uh, at that time, then Ridley actually complained to Latimer. He said, Latimer, it burns too slowly. And rather than Latimer being compassionate and saying, oh, tell me more about that. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. Uh, you know what? I think I can empathize because it's actually burning slowly for me on the other side here as well. But instead, he turns to him and he says, play the man. Play the man, Master Ridley. That's a quote from 1 Corinthians 16 where it says, be the man. Be brave. Do the work of the gospel. Play the man, Master Ridley. And we shall light such a candle, by God's grace, in England today, that as I trust, shall never be put out. That's what Paul did, and that's what the Philippians did. As they went after it under severe persecution, and yet unbridled joy, and unhindered proclamation of the gospel, they lit a candle throughout that empire that was unmistakable. And as many times as they would try to douse it, as many times as they would try to get them to say, Caesar is Lord rather than Jesus is Lord. Every effort only spread the power of Jesus Christ further and further and further. And so for us, if we're going to really 
recognize what it is that, that God is calling us to, then here's our final charge. And it should be nothing less than this, brothers and sisters. Nothing less. That we, like this church in Philippi, are encountered by the power of the gospel, by the love of Jesus, by the cure of Jesus, and by the confidence that is in Jesus. Paul says, having been confident in the Lord, you dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear, in, in verse 14. This idea of, of confident comes from the word patho, which means that you are convinced. Having been convinced of Christ. And so let me ask you, right now, are you convinced of Christ? Are you convinced that Jesus died for you, bore all that you have, rose again, and credited you with righteousness? Are you convinced that this is your gospel message? Well, having been convinced of this, he says, then we dare. We dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And this is our charge. Then dare. Dare greatly. Dare daily to proclaim the gospel without restraint to everyone. Amen. Amen.